Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning, Life Church. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship? Gosh, I'll tell you what, yeah. Amen. Amen. You can feel the presence of God. Cedar Rapids, good morning. Thank you that you're joining us, join, joining with us there from the, the Doubletree Hotel. This week, uh, we're, today we're concluding a series that we've been in called Knowing God. And this, this week, um, I was uh, just kind of praying about today and preparing this at the beginning of the week, you know, for today specifically. And something just struck me as I was thinking about the message and how oftentimes God is referred to, particularly in the Old Testament. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that there's, that God is referred to often as the God who goes before. Now, I know that you can probably read that and maybe not think a whole lot of it, you know, that we, we, we might skip over that and get to the meat of what God is trying to tell us, but that by itself says so much about who God is, the God who goes before us, the God who goes before you, amen? In fact, uh, Josh, uh, Moses is having a conversation with Joshua. Moses is phasing out his his ministry is coming to an end. He's led the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know, and he's, they're on their way to the promised land. And, and he's telling Joshua that Joshua's going to take over. Joshua's going to be in control. And this is what he says to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. He says, the Lord himself, okay, speaking, Moses speaking to Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. So Joshua, you need to understand that God is not running late. He's actually ahead of you. He's in front of you. He's already, he already knows what's going on in front of you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not abandoning you. He's not forgetting about you. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, through your job loss, through your marriage struggles, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Therefore, this is what he says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. There's something about serving a God who goes before us, right? Who is ahead of us who knows exactly what's in front of us. Now, in Isaiah 45, verse 2, it's, this time it's actually God speaking, the very same idea. He says, I, talking about God, I will go before you and level the mountains. I love that about God. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. So friends in Cedar Rapids, those of you here in Corville, there is no mountain too tall, too big that God cannot level. And I understand that in the past year, we have been faced with mountains. Mountains of financial insecurity. Mountains of marriage distress, mountains of job loss, mountains of national disunity, mountains of physical disease. 
There is no mountain that he cannot level. We are faced with mountain after mountain after mountain, but we worship a God who goes before us and he levels the mountains. And that should be an encouragement to us, right? He's the God who is the way maker as we sing that song, right? The miracle worker, the curse reverser, the mountain lover. That's the God that we serve. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Amen? That was a weak amen, but I'll, I'll accept it. It's okay. Hey, there's one thing that, that's certain, though, is that God, God knows things that we don't know. And I think that part of the problem with us and our mountains is that we sometimes, the mountain, the huge mountains in front of us, and we sometimes think that I don't think God knows that that mountain's there. <laughs> right? We think that I'm not sure that God is aware that something's going on. But here's what you need to understand, that God knows things that we don't know. And so what we discover as we've been going through Job is that we worship a God who's never running late, who's always on time, and he goes before us. And see, Job wants to know that. In fact, Job's biggest challenge wasn't that he wasn't sure if God was in control, but it, because I think that just by his own words in Job, you find that he believes. In fact, he's, he's in trouble. He's struggling, and his friends are talking to him all kinds of smack, and he is, he's trying to convince his friends that God is in control. So Job's tr- struggle wasn't whether God was in control or not. Job's struggle is not even that he wondering if God cares or not. I think he knew those things. I think what Job really was struggling with was God, do you know what's happening to me? Do you know what's happening? God, do you realize that I've lost my business? Do you realize that I've lost my family? Do you realize right now I'm sitting here, my body is is aching and in pain. God, do you see me? God, do you know what's going on in my life? And I suspect that that really has been a predominant question for many of us through this past 14 months. As I told you from the very beginning, that I set out to do this message because of what we have been through as a, as a, as a people, not just in the States, but globally. A lot of questions have surfaced, and you know, a lot of wondering, you know, what's God up to? And I think there are many, many people right now asking the same question of God. God, do you know? God, do you see? Like, God, I, you know, I hadn't taken a drink in so long. I, was, I, was, I, was, I thought I was set free from this addiction, but then in this last year, suddenly that, that addiction has come back with a fury. God, do you see that I'm struggling here? Do you see that I'm, that I'm, I'm wrestling through this? Do you understand? Or I thought my marriage was good. I thought we had finally gotten past all of those issues, you know, those mistakes I made when I was young and really you know, how I dealt with my wife and I thought everything was great. But then in the last year, it seems like things just got turned upside down and now we're just barely holding on to a marriage. Or I thought that this anxiety was gone. I thought that I was whole and healed. But in the last year, that's all been shot to, to you know where this past year. And God, do you know? I suspect that you have your series of questions of God as well. 
God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what I'm going through? That word, know, this word right here, know, in the scripture, is a very powerful word, especially in the Old Testament. Um, and it's important for us to understand it, you know, and so to understand the word know, we really need to go back, you know, like, like, like identify it when it was first used. And the very first time this word know is used, it's used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And it's in context, the reference of it is that it's in context of a relationship between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve, okay? And I'm going to, I'm pulling out the old school right now, okay? I'm using the King James Version, sorry, for some of you, for some of you, you're like, finally. <laughs> um, anyways, the King James Version says this, Adam knew his wife Eve. Adam knew his wife Eve. Now, if you don't understand what no means, you well, what's he talking about? Well, the NIV helps us and it translates this for us. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve. So he slept with his wife, right? He knew his wife. And so this word no is the word yada in Hebrew. And it actually conveys this idea of to know completely and to be completely known. It's this intimate word of connection. No. And here's what's really interesting. If you read through the scriptures and trace this word yada throughout the Old Testament, what you'll discover over and over again, every time it's used, over and over again, it actually describes the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and I. That he wants, he knows you. Okay, so there's no doubt about that. God is all-knowing. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you, but he also wants to be known by us. He wants us to know him. For us to have this kind of dynamic relationship with him where we know him, but he knows you. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. So in Psalm 139, David uses that word know six times, yada, the word yada, six times. In, starting with verse 1, it goes like this. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. Like, God, you have searched me, right? You've probably read this passage. You've searched me. You've known me. God, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know everything about me. You yada everything about me. You know me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm, a, when I'm far away. So distance doesn't matter. You know me. When I'm traveling, <laughs> you see me when I travel and when I, when, I, when I rest at home. So even if you're out of town this week, like right after service, the third service here, I've got to speed off to Des Moines because we've got some meetings in Des Moines tonight. And God knows me. D distance doesn't matter. God knows you wherever you are. He goes, you know, yada, everything I do. Teenagers. <laughs> God knows everything you do. <clears throat> you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You know. Now, that, that might be a little bit terrifying. Like every time I read this verse, I'm thinking, hmm, I probably shouldn't have said that because God knew I was going to say it before I said it, and I said it, and now my wife's over there crying and upset at me. He knows. What's interesting is that David's not talking about this. He's not saying how God knows him from the position of fear. He's not saying, God, you know all these things, therefore I'm terrified that you know all these things. He's actually saying it more from a position of comfort. Like he's saying, God, I'm so thankful that you know everything about me. You know when I'm suffering, you know when I'm hurting, you know everything about me. And that's comforting.
Nothing has escaped you. And so when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're anxious, when you're uncertain, I think it's great comfort in knowing that God knows, right? And I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, today's a very short and very simple message. God knows. Like, you, haven't, you didn't walk in here this morning and verbalized what you wish God knew. But you don't have to. I'm just going to tell you, God knows. God knows right now that you are struggling with a relationship with a child. And maybe that child doesn't want to talk to you. Maybe he's an adult and he just doesn't, never calls, never wants to really engage. You didn't say that when you walked in, but God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows. Um, I don't think it's exactly the same, you know, but I think it's similar to how a mother knows a baby, a newborn, you know. You, you mom's here, you understand that. A couple of weeks, it's Mother's Day, and we're going to celebrate, celebrate that a little bit. But um, I don't know if it's intuition, or I don't know if it's just, you know, you know the, the closeness of a, of, a, of a mother to a newborn. All I know is that I had four kids, and I just didn't understand them at all when they were like two months old. Like, their language was just cry. I loved them when they smiled. But when they just cry, you're like, okay, what do you do? You know? Like, I don't know. But it's like my wife, Christy, she just knew. Like, like my son would cry, and, 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 and I would think, what's going on? And she'd say, he's tired. I'm like, how do you know that? Sure enough, he put him down, and he fall asleep. He's great. Another son would cry, and, and she'd say, he's hungry. I'm like, man, she just knows this stuff, right? And sure enough, feed him, and he was great. You know, another time he'd cry, and she'd say, he needs his diaper changed, and is asking his daddy to change his diaper. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I think that's added commentary there. You, I know you know that he needs his diaper changed, but I don't think he actually said that his daddy needs to change his diaper. I don't know, though. She knows. My daughter, Caitlin, when she was born, uh, she was born overseas, and so when, when we were in Bangladesh... And, uh, you know, we're very protective, you know, and concerned for, you know, especially early on in their, before vaccinations and anything, you know, you're just concerned that they might get anything. And, and so she would cry. And I was, I was like, you know, and it's a daughter, you know, I have three sons. My son, yeah, whatever, sons. But I have a daughter now, you know. Sorry, that's, that's bad. That sounds bad. They're not, none of them are here right now, so thank, thankfully. Um, so, so uh, you know, my... I, when she would cry, I'd immediately just go and grab her, and I'd just, like, try to console her and make sense. And then she would just cry louder. And I'm like, what is going on? This is not working. And Christy, she'd just grab her, and it was like, she'd just quiet down, and she just, like, it was this thing, like, Caitlin knew that her mom knows And that's the word yada in the scriptures. God knows. 
He knows you. He knows you. He knows you. And this ultimately is what ends up giving Job so much comfort. So in chapters 38 through 40, we, we, in this series, we, we've talked about how God asks asked Job a series of questions. I mean, all kinds of questions. Questions about the universe, questions about nature, you know? And, and over and over again, you hear, you, you read in these chapters, you read, yada, 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 yada. It's, like a, it's almost like a refrain. It's just being said over and over and over and over again. And he's asking questions. Job, do you know? Do you know about the mysteries of the universe? Do you know about all the different species of animals? Job, do you know that how long it takes for a, a doe to give birth to her fawn? Job, do you know these things? Do you know about that stuff? Yada, yada, yada. It's what you see in these, in these chapters 38, 39, and 40. And what God is saying to Job is, Job, really, you don't know. Right? You, you don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why we had to go through a pandemic last year. I don't know. I don't know why, even at this point in time, we're, we're at a place of such racial disharmony and disunity and tension in this, in this nation. I don't know. I wish it had happened. I wish it wasn't there, but this is exactly where we're at. I don't know. And so God is saying to Job, Job, you don't know. But then God is also saying something else. He's saying, but I do know. That's what you need to understand is I do know. You don't, I do. You have a lot of questions with no answers. I have all the answers. I know the answers to all of these questions. And so basically saying to Job, Job, I know. I know, I know, I know you're suffering. I know you're struggling. I know you're feeling challenged. I know, I know, I know. And so in Psalm 139, David talks about how God knows this stuff, you know. He knows him. He knows him well. And he kind of uses the human body, he uses anatomy, he uses biology basically to, as evidence to, to talk about how, God, how we are intimately known by God, right? Look what it says in Psalm 139, starting with verse 13, it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb like you fashioned all of this, you made it all happen, right? Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, As humans, we are wonderfully complex, he says. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And so David is saying that our bodies are evidence that we are known by God. In fact, DNA, oftentimes it's called, you know, the signature of God in our lives, right? Now, I don't know if you realize this, but one DNA strand, just one DNA strand has so much information, it would take a million page encyclopedia to actually put, to put all of that information on. A million page encyclopedia. Think about the human brain. The human brain has 86 billion neurons, and all of them are sending and receiving at lightning speed messages throughout our entire body. You could think about the ear. First service, I talked about my dad. My dad was called Dumbo growing up. And, and my mom would always say this, be thankful you don't have your dad's ears. <laughs> my poor dad, he had big ears and they, and, they, and they were out like this, you know, so they just tease him, call him Dumbo. Some of you younger people are like, Dumbo, what's that? Anyways, we can talk about that later. I don't even, I shouldn't have even said that. My dad's in heaven saying, 
why are you talking about me up there? <clears throat> but our ears, okay, in our ears, in our ear canal, there are 24,000 hair-like cells in your inner ear. And those 24,000 hair-like cells, as sound is passing through, our, those hair-like cells pick up on that, and then they send signals to our body so that we can actually know that we're hearing something, not only know that we're hearing something, but then that gets coded and translated so that we can actually understand what's being said. Like right now, that's what's happening in this room. There's a lot of hair-like cells flapping away because Rich Green is talking really fast. And it's translating stuff so you can understand. Or think about our lungs. Our lungs look like two pair of pink sponges. They contain six million, 600 million tiny air sacs, 750 woven miles of blood vessels. And as a result of that, today you will inhale and exhale 23,000 times, and, and you don't even know you're doing it. Or the heart. The heart pumps on an average about 100,000 times a day. It pumps 2,000 gallons of blood through your body, through 60,000 miles of blood vessels, and that all happens in less than a minute. We have been wonderfully made by God. And he knows us. And God did that. He made us that way. I love how Jesus talks about our body in Matthew 10 to kind of tell us, that, to help us understand that God knows us, right? He says, that, he says that God knows, has counted every hair on your head. The human has about 100,000 hair follicles. Now, there's some of us in this room that we're kind of bringing that average down a little bit. But still, it's about 100,000 hair follicles. Okay, And it says, Jesus is making the point that God knows you. God has counted every one of them. As you sit here right now, he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. And so doesn't it seem kind of strange? He knows exactly how many hairs on your head. And for us to say, God, did you see what happened last week with my wife? Of course he did. He knows, he knows, he knows. And so, like David in Psalm 139, when we reflect on how we've been, you know, we've been thoughtfully and wonderfully created, you know, we, we should understand that God knows us and he knows us intimately, right? He knows you well. There's something very comforting about that. In fact, that's the point, right? I think the point of knowing that God knows is that we should gain comfort from that. Now, I realize that you'd rather say, well, okay, God, I know you know, but why don't you just do, do something about it? Fix it. The thing is, we don't actually understand God's wisdom either completely. And we don't know exactly what it is that really needs. We think we know what needs to be fixed, but God really knows what needs to be fixed. So that should be comforting to us that God knows. I like how the message is paraphrased, uh, how Psalm 139 is paraphrased in the message. It says, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, like tiny piece by tiny piece. You know everything about me, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. So nothing, absolutely nothing escapes God. And in the end, this is where Job lands. He's comforted by this realization that God knows him intimately. And you, too, are known intimately. God knows you. Now, Job realizes that God knows 
things, he also realized that he doesn't actually know everything. And that's the dilemma for us, right? I think, I really think that, that we want a type of Christianity, a type of faith that is very predictable. Like we know everything. Like we want to, we, it's good. It sounds nice that God goes before us, but we really want to go before us. That's really what we want. I mean, God, if you'll just give us that kind of faith, then everything will be great. But in God's wisdom, that's not the faith that we have. And I think that that's really what the message of Job is all about. And that's where Job lands in, his, in, in this whole conclusion. He, 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 he goes through all of this suffering. And at the end of this story, he realizes that God really knows. And there's two things that Job walks away with. He walks away with this idea that Job, he's comforted by the fact that God knows. Okay, so Job is comforted by the fact that God knows. But not only that, he's confident that God will redeem. So these are two truths. Now, there's a little bit of a gap. There's a distance between these two, these two, right? Like, I'm confident that God knows. Maybe I could settle down and realize, okay, God, you know. But then there's a gap because, yeah, there will be redemption, but when? When are you going to fix my marriage? When are you going to take care of the finances? Or let's talk about the bigger global ones. When are you just going to finally just eradicate racism? When? There's a gap. I'm comforted by the fact that God knows. I'm also confident that God will redeem. Maybe that's why Job says in Job 19, he goes, I know that my Redeemer lives. Like this is where he lands. I'm suffering, I'm struggling, but I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. What a declaration. I know God lives, my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. So Job has, like many of us, a lot of questions, few answers, and he declares, I know my Redeemer lives, and that one day he's going to make everything right. One day he's going to rule and reign. One day all things are going to be put back together. Now, I don't want you to confuse this statement here. I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. As if Job was just sort of dismissing his suffering. He's not like, you know, he's not like it's not a big deal. He's not like looking at you and your suffering and your struggles. God putting his hands in his pocket and saying, what's wrong with you? Just get over it. That's not Job. That's not what he's doing. What Job is doing, he's making this declaration. I know my Redeemer lives. And maybe it's a declaration of faith. Maybe, maybe you don't feel it, but you have to say it. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And in that declaration of faith, he comes to this conclusion. And one day he's going to make all things right. And so Job is not back there with his hands in his pockets just criticizing you because you're struggling. Job instead is looking at you and saying, hey, your Redeemer lives. Get that in your spirit. Your Redeemer lives. And since your Redeemer lives, live like that. Live like that. He knows you. And so while trouble is all around and we can still, we can still be confident God knows and that God will redeem that he's working things out for the good. And, you know, we sing this song. It's not just words that we sing, but they're true. These, these, these words are so true. Even when, I, we, even when we can't see it, he is working. Even when we can't feel it, he is working. He is always working. He's working. He's working. He's working. 
I know that he's working. He'll never stop working. That's just not, it's not just a song that we sing. These words are absolutely true. I don't see it, but God is working. I don't feel it, but God is working. And he's never stopped working. He knows. He knows. He knows. Um, I'm going to show you a video here in a second. It's of, it's of a lady by the name of Hannah Lee. Hannah Lee had this, uh, as, a, as a 15-year-old girl felt, girl, felt this call into acting. She was very talented, very gifted musician and all of that. And uh, so she thought that maybe the Lord was calling her to, 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 you know, to act, to make a living doing this. And so she actually went to Hollywood. She auditioned. She tried out, you know. And, but what happened is she felt like God was leading her. And yet what ended up happening, she just got rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And what began to occur in Hannah Lee's life is that the narrative of her story was rejection. I think some of you might identify with that. Like that's all she knew was just rejection, rejection, rejection. So finally she gives up on her dream of becoming an actress and um, said, well, I'm just going to become, a, become a, a, a wife and a mother. That's what I'll do. That's, I can at least do that, right? And so she starts pursuing that, and again, she encounters more rejection and more challenges and more difficulties. Take a look at this. We got married, and our first couple of years of marriage were just wonderful. And it was this thing I had wanted my whole life was happening. We had this puppy, super cute. We were going to, you know, try out the parenting stuff with a dog for a little bit. Um, and then about two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. Uh, we're going to do the baby thing. After Eliza was born, Jason was dealing with a lot of burnout, where he was working and a lot of pain. And, you know, you're not sleeping, so no one's thinking rationally. There was a just this sense of breaking that happened within our marriage because I could no longer be there for him in the way that I think he needed and he couldn't be there for me and so there was just so much miscommunication there was so much just wires getting crossed and I really just started to believe that he did not love me and that I had failed and I just was never going to be enough for him that rejection narrative was getting even more pervasive. I was sitting at my piano just weeping to God, and I just kept saying, like, why doesn't he want me? Why doesn't he like me? Why am I not satisfied? Why isn't this easier? Why, why doesn't he love me the way that I need to be loved? And I sensed God speak again, and he said, because he's not me. It's very humbling to think that you're this evolved person and find out the things that you struggled with at 15, you struggle with right now. That was the time I was going to have my babies, and we were going to do the mom thing. And I, th this was just the time that I would bunker down and raise my children. And went to our first doctor's appointment, 
and got to hear the most beautiful little heartbeat. We were like, okay, well, the first ultrasound is taken care of, you know, baby looks good, like we've heard a heartbeat, we're fine. And um, so I went in for a follow-up appointment about three weeks later and uh, there was no heartbeat. It's just a resounding silence. What? No, like we did everything right. This is, this was the rainbow baby. Like this was, this is what? I kept saying to God, I was like, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. I should be holding Daisy, like she should be here. And God just said again, I know. He's still enough, you know, as I wait and as I grieve, like he's near and enough. And as wonderful as motherhood is, it can't be my identity. It can't be what I stake my life on, just as a career and, and a passion are beautiful things, but they're not the best thing. And marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not the thing. And again, God in his kindness has allowed each of those to fail. And I'm grateful, weirdly, because it has allowed me to see that he's the only thing that's not gonna leave me wanting. And I can delight in the beautiful, great things that he's given and have peace in knowing that he is the greatest of those things. Amen. <clears throat> There's a lot of things we don't know. Maybe some of you here identify with Hannah. Like you've had your share of struggles. And, uh, and I love how she's come through it. She, she doesn't dismiss them. Job doesn't dismiss the struggle. He doesn't say they're not, they don't exist. I actually heard a sermon once that said that. That this was all Job's figment of his imagination. <laughs> isn't She's not saying, you know, those things don't happen. They do happen. But God has to be enough for us. And so what he wants to do more than anything else is he wants to reveal himself to you and I as the God who knows us. He knows you. He knows you. He knows you. And you can know him as well. It's interesting that, you know, Years before, thousands of years before Job ever said that my Redeemer lives, he said it thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, and yet one of the names of Jesus is Redeemer. That Jesus is our Redeemer. That he came basically to turn broken things into beautiful things, to turn graves into gardens, to turn mountains into pathways. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what he wants to do even in your life right now. So for these past three weeks, we've been focusing in on, we, what, what we've been doing intentionally is trying to take our focus off of the mountains 
and on to the mountain leveler. And I suspect that many of you have mountains in your life. Cedar Rapids, you're listening. Many of you have mountains in your life. But we have a redeemer who lives. And he's going to make things right. And he's going to make things right in your life. I can't tell you when. I wish I could tell you tomorrow or next month or a year from now. Even if we knew it was a year from now, at least that would, there would be some kind of comfort there, right? I can't say that. But I can say that my Redeemer lives. And there are those moments in my quietness with him that I sense it more than ever before. Even when I look around, my eyes, what my eyes see doesn't bring a lot of hope. My spirit says, my Redeemer lives. And one day he's going to make all things right. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to pray for you. We embarked on this series. Uh, you know, we embarked on this series not, not so much to try to answer questions. <laughs> I mean, if, if, in a nutshell, really, this whole series, what this was, was, hey, guys, I know you got issues, but look how big God is. <laughs> That's really what this series was. I, I know you got struggles. I know there's challenges. I know there's COVID-19, I get that. I realize there's a pandemic and, all, and yeah, there's all kinds of other things, but look how big God is. Look how ma- amazing God is. And I think every once in a while we need that because we need that for, for the sake of perspective. Because sometimes we get so tunnel vision and all we see, all we can possibly see is the impossible mountain in front of us. And if we just could pull back a little bit, we'll see the horizon, we'll see that there's a God who is so much bigger than the mountains. In fact, he's the mountain leveler. And what is your mountain right now, one day God's going to make it a pathway. So I don't know what it is. We're going to pray, and as we pray, just you talk to God about the mountain in your life and say, God, I don't understand, but I know you know, and I know that one day you're going to make all things right. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, God, because we know that you know. And Father, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that you know. Yes, Lord, we want answers. Yes, Father, we want resolution. Yes, Lord, we want the marriages to be healed. Yes, Lord, we want the children to talk to us. Yes, Lord, we want all of those things. But it helps me, Lord, to know that you actually know that I'm struggling right now. It helps me, Lord, to know that you actually know that my marriage is not doing well right now. Lord, it helps me to know that you know that I'm battling with this addiction. So, Lord, I'm asking you right now to speak into our lives. Give Give us full vision that we will also confess just as Job confessed. I once heard about you. I once knew about you. But now my eyes have seen you. And I know that you know. In Jesus' name.